Amen. All right. Well, we're there in uh, Genesis chapter number 30, and we're moving through uh, the book of Genesis, specifically uh, going through the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in a series entitled The Patriarchs. And uh, we read uh, chapter 30 tonight, but we're actually going to start in chapter 29. If you look at uh, Genesis 29, if you look at verse number 31, uh, because there's a there, there, from, from Genesis 29, 31 uh, to the end of, of 29, which just goes to verse 35, and then from Genesis 30, verse 1 to verse 24, uh, we get the story of basically uh, how Jacob got 11 of his 12 uh, children. And next week, we're going to do the rest of the chapter of chapter 30, and we're going to get into that weird story about the sheep and, and the lambs and how he multiplied it. We'll talk about that next week. But today, tonight, I want to just give you some thoughts and some things we can learn from this passage uh, of, of uh, Leah uh, bearing children and Rachel bearing children and the two uh, maids there bearing children. And this, this passage, uh, there's basically uh, several themes that we can find through the end of chapter 29 and, and part of chapter 30. And I want to give you those themes and we'll just do our best to go through it and kind of learn it tonight. Um, look at Genesis 29 there and verse number 31. The first thing I want you to notice is that we see a lesson in conception. We see a lesson in conception. For those of you that would like to take notes, I'd uh, encourage you to take notes. Uh, that's the first point. And, and what I want you to notice is that in this chapter there is an emphasis. And the emphasis is this, and we've seen it before in other passages, but we'll look at it again tonight. And it's this, that it is God who opens and closes the womb. When someone has a child, when someone is, to use our terminology, pregnant, it is God that allows that. It is God that blesses that individual with that child. If you look at Genesis 29, verse 31, notice what the Bible says. And the Lord saw that Leah was hated, and he, that's God, or the Lord, which is God, opened her, that's Leah's womb. So we see that God opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. The word barren means incapable of producing offspring. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. I want you to notice, and if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you might want to just write, you know, right next to Reuben there, write a number one, because that's Jacob's first son, and it's Leah's first son. And the Bible says, for she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, all right? So right next to Simeon, you can write a number two, because that's Jacob's second son, and that's Leah's second son. Notice verse 34, and she conceived again and bare a son. And said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I, have sworn, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. You can write ne right next to Levi, you can write a number three. That's Jacob's third son, and that's Leah's third son. And she conceived again, and, and she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Right next to Judah, you can write a number four. That's Jacob's fourth son, and Leah's fourth son. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here at the end of verse 35, and left bearing. That's referring to Leah. Leah had four sons, and then she left bearing. She was no longer able to uh, uh, get pregnant. She was no longer had uh, conception. Now, if you look at chapter 30 and verse 1, here's where things start to go wrong. All right, look at verse 1. Well, well things went wrong a, a little bit ago when, when uh, Jacob reaped what he sowed and ended up uh, accidentally or, or, you know, being tricked into marrying Leah. 
and then he chose to marry Rachel anyway. Okay, that's called polygamy. And, and though we find polygamy in Scripture, it is not of God. God teaches all throughout the Bible. Jesus said, therefore shall a, a, a man leave a father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. He said two become one. He didn't say three become one. He didn't say four become one. He didn't say five become one. So it's God's will that one man be married to one woman. Polygamy is not found in Scripture. It's found in Scripture in the sense that that's what people did, but that doesn't make it right. And, and we'll see here tonight that that's one of the reasons uh, uh, for it is because of problems that Jacob ends up having here in his family. Look at Genesis 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children. She's asking Jacob for children because remember we were told earlier that she was barren. She was incapable of producing offspring. Offspring, She said, give me children or else I die. But I want you to notice a theme that we find in this chapter. The theme is that it is God. It is the Lord that opens and closes the womb. Because Jacob, uh, you know, said something and he's right. He may have not been right about how he said it. I would imagine because in verse 2 it says, and Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, but what he says is right. Notice what he says. He says, am I in God's stead? who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb. And he's absolutely right. Jacob's saying, I'm not the one that's keeping you from, getting, uh, uh, from having a child. I'm not the one that's keeping you from getting pregnant. He said, if anyone's withholding the fruit of the womb, it's God. He said, because the theme that we find in this passage is that it is God that opens and closes the womb. Look down at verse number three. And she said, behold, this is where things go wrong. My maid Bilhah, remember Bilhah was given to her as a servant when she got married to Jacob. And she said, this is Rachel, behold my maid Bilhah, go in unto her and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid to wife. So now we see Jacob take on a third wife. He already had two wives, okay, and, and they were both sisters. Now he's taken on a third wife and Jacob went in unto her. Look at verse 5. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. All right. So now here's where it gets a little tricky. Okay. If you're writing in your Bible next to the name Dan, you want to write a number five because that's Jacob's fifth son. But you may also want to write a dash one <laughs> because that's, that's uh, Bilhah's first son. All right. This is where it gets complicated because he's got, he's got multiple wives. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestling have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. Now here you might want to write a six and a dash and a two, right? Because it's Jacob's sixth son, but it's Bilhah's second son. Look at verse 9. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah. So now this is Leah. So, so Leah gave him four sons. She stopped bearing. Rachel never wasn't able to have children up to this point. So Rachel says, you take my, my maid and, and you marry her. And then he had two sons with her. And now Leah, she sees that she left bearing. She sees that, you know, she's thinking, you know, for some reason I'm not getting pregnant anymore. So she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob. Now we got Jacob's fourth wife. All right. This is complicated. Okay. 
I mean, I mean, some of, it's kind of like some of your guys' lives, but it's a little complicated. You know, you've got four wives and uh, children from all sorts of different places, and, you know, the, the Bible is applicable today, you know. And, uh, but he's got fourth wife. Look at verse 10. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bear Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop cometh, and she calls his name Gad. All right, so we got number seven for Jacob and number one for Zilpah. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bear Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she calls his name Asher, we got number eight for Jacob and number two for Zilpah. And Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. Now here's where it gets even weirder because we begin to see the dynamics of a polygamous home and it's just an odd thing. Verse 15, and she said unto her, is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And what is thou also... Take away my son's mandrakes also. Now, I, you know, I wouldn't put, like, fruit and spouse on the same level. But Leah, you know, she's a little irritated here. She's saying, you already took my husband. Now you want to take, you know, my apples? Or now you want to take my mandrakes? And Rachel said, therefore, he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. So now, you know, I mean, it's like, is he a prostitute? I mean, I'm not. Uh, and Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, uh, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. It's just the story gets weird. And he lay with her that night, and God hearkened unto Leah. But don't you notice the thing? God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived. Why? Because it is God. It is God that opens and closes the womb. And bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire, because I have given my maiden to my husband, and, and, and by the way, if you're writing your Bible, just right next to that statement, put not true, okay? I know that's what she said, but that's not true. She, she's saying, because I gave my husband another woman, God has blessed me with a child. Now, God did bless her with a child, but that wasn't the reason for it. And, you know, it's interesting because you say, well, that's crazy that she would say that. But it's so funny how even today people will say the dumbest things. And, and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I, I got this money and, you know, sure, I had to, like, you know, uh, be a part of some sinful act to get it, but it must be the blessing of God. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know, and here she's saying, well, my sin is paying off for me. No, it's not. But it is God who gave you the child. Look at, look at verse 18 again. And Leah said, God had given me my heart because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name uh, Issachar. So there you got uh, Jacob's ninth and Leah's fifth. So Leah's back in in the running. She's got number five now. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God had endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I've uh, borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulon. That's Jacob's tenth son. That's Leah's sixth son. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. Uh, that's Jacob's first daughter and Leah's first daughter. That's the only daughter we know of uh, that scripture tells us about. Verse 22. And no, notice, notice the, the theme again. And God remembered Rachel. Who remembered Rachel? God did. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. That's the theme of this passage of this of this of this passage of scripture. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. All right, that's Jacob's eleventh son, and Rachel's first son, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Now keep your place there in Genesis 30. Go back to Genesis chapter number 20. And, and there's so many places we could go to in Scripture for this, but I, I'm not going to take the time to go through all of them. I'll just give you one that's close. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, you find this theme, that it is God, it is God that opened and closes the womb. Genesis 20, look at verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. God had 
punish them by not allowing them to bear children because, uh, you know, I mean, we, we preached on it. Abraham lied and he took his wife and all of those things. Verse 18, notice what it says. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So notice the Bible says the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs. The Lord, the Bible tells us in different places, is the one that opened the womb. So keep, keep your place in Genesis. We're going to come back to it, especially Genesis 30. That's our text for tonight. Go with me to the book of Isaiah, just real quickly. Isaiah chapter number 7. Towards the end of the Old Testament, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Isaiah chapter 7, look at verse 14. So I want you to understand a couple of things. The first thing we learn is that it is the Lord. It is the Lord that opens and closes the womb. The other thing I want you to understand, and this is something that I used to think all Christians believe, but I've realized that not all Christians believe this. So I want to prove it to you from Scripture, is that the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception. That's why we think abortion is a sin. Because it is, it is the life of a human being in that womb. They do not become a person once they come out of the womb. They do not become a person once they've been in the womb for three months or six months. They become a person the moment that conception happens. God uh, refers to them as a person, a child, an individual. Let me prove that to you from Scripture. Isaiah chapter 7, look at verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself, and I know you've seen these verses before, but let's look at them again. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall. Can we just say that word together? Conceive. All right. Now you sang better than this morning, but you definitely didn't read better than this morning. Okay, let's do let's read it again. A virgin shall conceive. I just want you to notice the word conceive. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. A virgin shall what? A virgin shall conceive. Now go to Matthew chapter one and look at verse number twenty-three. Matthew chapter number one. And verse number 23 should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 23. Matthew 1.23 says this. I'll give you a second to get there. Matthew 1.23, notice what it says. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? Behold, a virgin shall, let's read these three words together, right? Be with child. Now, you may say, well, why, why is it that Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and then Matthew, quoting that same passage, did not use the word conceive, but replaced the word conceive with these three words, be with child. What's the reason for that? Is that a contradiction in Scripture? No, it's not. See, the Bible serves as its own dictionary. And when you sometimes compare parallel passages, what you find is that God gives us a synonym. When, when, when in Isaiah he said conceive, and in Matthew he said be with child, it's because that's what God considers conception. Conception is to be with child. He says, behold, a virgin shall be with child. I want you to notice, he didn't say a virgin shall be with a fetus. He didn't say a virgin shall be with an embryo. He didn't say a virgin shall be with a blob of tissue. He said a virgin shall be with child. He said a virgin shall conceive. Why? Because conception equals a child. Life begins at conception. And you find this throughout the Bible. Let me just give you another example. Go to Numbers chapter 5. If you're in Genesis, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 5. While you turn there, 
I'll read to you from uh, Hebrews 11, 11. You don't have to turn to Hebrews, but I'll read this to you while you're turning to Numbers chapter 5 and verse 28. In Hebrews 11, 11, the Bible says this, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength. This is talking about Sarah when she uh, was given the strength and the ability, the empowerment to be able to uh, have a child named Isaac. It says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength, notice, to conceive seed. And was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. In Numbers 5.28, you're there. Let's read it together. Numbers 5.28, and if the woman be not defiled but be clean, then she shall be free and shall, notice these words, conceive seed. Why are these words used together, conceive seed? Because that's when conception happens. Conception happens when the seed of a man fertilizes the egg of a woman. That's why those words are put together, conceive seed. Because today, you'll have people who want to justify abortions, and they'll say, oh no, conception doesn't happen till 14 days after fertilization when it implants on the, uh, on the uterus wall of the woman. That's not true. It happens when you conceive seed. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And the Bible tells us that she was with child. You say, why does this matter? There's several reasons why this matters. And go back to Genesis chapter 30. And I want you to look at verse number 3. Here you've got one woman who's not able to, who's barren. She's not able to give birth. And you've got another woman who was able to have four children and then left off from bearing. And they both took matters into their own hands when it came to the fact that they wanted to have children. And they did something that was extremely sinful and extremely wicked and something that you and I I would hope would never do today, and we wouldn't do it in our society because it would not be acceptable. But in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 3, the Bible says this, And she, talking about Rachel, said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, talking about a different woman, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may, have also, that I may also have children by her. Rachel said, I can't have children so I'm going to give you this other woman, and you go in unto her, and, and she will bear on my knees, and, and her children will be, my, my children basically offers another woman to her husband. And then, of course, Leah does the same thing when you go down to verse number 9, Genesis chapter 30 and verse 9. The Bible says this, when Leah saw that she had left bearing, she was no longer able to get pregnant, she'd already had four children, she took Zilpah, her maid. And gave her to Jacob to wife. And of course, Zilpah ended up having two other children with, uh, with, with this fourth wife. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. Today, in our society, especially Christians, we, be, we and when I say we, I'm saying Christianity as a whole, will often take steps to either force the hand of God when God will not open the womb, or sometimes when God opens a womb and you don't want that child, will take steps to try to make sure that you don't get that child. And, and there are things that are done today in our society that will end life after conception. And that is a sin, and that is murder, and that is wrong. You know, and today you and I, I mean, you, I, I would hope there'd be no woman here that would say, I'm not able to have a child, so I'm just going to offer this other woman to my husband. Today our society wouldn't do that. But you know the things, and I want to talk about two specific things that Christians do today that are wrong. One is in the attempt of getting pregnant, which is IVF, 
in vitro fertilization. And the other one is in the attempt of not getting pregnant, and that is the hormonal birth control. And I want to show you how both of these actions and life after conception is not something that Christians should take part in. I found an uh, a article here. I want to read you the article because sometimes I feel like reading an article makes more sense than if I explain it to you or whatever. But here's an article from a website called crosswalk.com. And the article is entitled, Is IVF an Ethical Choice for Pro-Life Parents? Is IVF an Ethical Choice for Pro-Life Parents? And if you don't know what IVF is, the article explains it here a little bit. And I'm going to change some of these words because they use words that I don't want to use. So I'll I'll, I'll change those words. uh, So forgive me for that. I'll just, uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'll just read to you certain parts. The Center, of, uh, the Center for Disease Control reports that there are an estimated 6.7 million women of childbearing age who are unable to have children. 10 to 16% of all couples cannot conceive. To overcome the pain and despair of infertility, science and medicine have collaborated to develop an array of artificial reproductive technologies. And again, I'm reading from this article. These are not my words. The most common and effective is in vitro fertilization, also known as IVF, developed in 1978 in the UK. Simply speaking, this procedure occurs when a doctor extracts eggs from a woman and mixes them with, and they use a word, but it's what the Bible calls the seed of a man, in a Petri dish to generate human embryos. And again, the word that you and I would use would be child, all right? They're using the word embryo here, but God tells us that it's a child. The selected embryos are then transferred to the woman's uterus in hope that at least one will implant in the uterine lining, resulting in a pregnancy and birth of a baby. While we celebrate all children uh, generated through IVF, and of course we do. You know, if children are born through IVF, that's not the child's fault. And of course we're going to love any life and any child. Just like every child conceived in a womb, we must consider some serious potential concerns with IVF. And I'm going to skip a lot of this, but let me get down to the concerns that they bring up. Several facts about the procedures are especially worth consideration. What most don't know is that whenever an IVF procedure occurs, a doctor will generate more than just the desired number of embryos. This is where the moral problem begins, especially for Christians. Dr. Richard Scott, who runs the fertility clinic in Morristown, New Jersey, generates a minimum of 12 embryos, but usually only implants four, a number he considers more potentially successful. But what happens to, but what happens to the extra embryos? They are frozen and most often forgotten. Now keep in mind, when an egg is fertilized, that's conception. When an egg is fertilized, that's a life. That's a human life. The Bible called it a child. He said she was with child. And here we are told uh, that, that they, they uh, generate a minimum of 12 embryos, but usually only implants four, a number he considers more potentially successful. But what happens to the extra embryos? They are frozen and most often forgotten. A recent estimate states that there are at least 600,000 leftover frozen embryos stored in fertility clinics across the country. Several options are available to address these leftover embryos. The embryos can be uh, thawed and implanted uh, to give them a chance at life, either in the mother's womb, which is the best option, or in an adopted mother's womb. They can be turned over to labs where they will be destroyed and used for embryonic stem cell research. Or, as Scott says, they can simply be discarded as biohazard waste. Talking about human beings. Trinity International University ethics professor Dennis P. 
Hollinger states, one of the most troublesome ethical aspects of IVF is the destruction or neglect, if frozen, of embryos, and that such is quite common. We often give little thought to the surplus embryos conceived through these technologies, but as Christians who believe that life begins at conception, we, would consider, we should consider the implications of this fact carefully. These hundreds of thousands of frozen embryos are our fellow humans created in the image and likeness of God, just like we are. And, and I'm, I'm going to stop reading there because there's more that, that, that there's, there's a lot more that go, they, they go into. But let me say this. They're not even talking about the fact that there are some of these fertilized eggs, embryos as they call them, children, are never even given a chance to be uh, uh, implanted because they just die off because this is such an unnatural process. Look, God did not, God's plan was not that a child would be conceived in a tube or in a Petri dish. And the fact that, you know, that Christians would allow, you know, and, 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 and you, you read different websites and you can get different numbers, but no one's just trying one. <laughs> you know, no one's just trying I mean, they're, they're trying 10 or 12. And when conception happens, this is a human being. And today, Christians will say, but I just want a child so bad. But listen to me. It is God who opens and closes the womb. Amen. It is God who decides. Who decide. And if you're here tonight and you say, well, God has not chosen to give you a child, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Or I'm not trying to rub it in your face. But all I'm saying is this. God has made that choice. God has made that decision. And we need to be careful not to play God. And to think that we can just decide, you know, we can force the hand of God, especially in these techniques. And look, whenever you're going to do something like this, I mean, hopefully you'll never do something like this, but whenever you're doing a medical procedure, you ought to consider, you know, is there something being done here that is a sin against God? Is there something being done here that God would speak against? Let, you know, that's, that's in the attempt of getting pregnant. The most common thing is probably people trying to keep themselves from getting pregnant. And the use, the, the most common thing that Americans use today is what's known as the hormonal birth control pill. Let me read for you from another uh, article. This one is entitled, How Does Hormonal Contraception Work? This is from WebMD. It's not a fundamental Baptist, uh, you know, newspaper or something. I didn't get this from the sword of the Lord, for whatever that's worth. You know, but, uh, you know, this is, just, this is just WebMD. Here's what it says. A woman becomes pregnant when an egg released from her ovary the organ that holds her egg, is fertilized by a man's seed. The fertilized egg attaches to the inside of the woman's womb, her uterus, where it receives nourishment and develops into a baby. That's their words, not mine. Okay, I think as soon as there's conception, it is a baby. All right, but these people are not Christians, and they're saying, you know, but here's what I want you to notice. When it attaches inside of the woman's uterus, that's where it receives nourishment, and that's true. That's where it gets fed. That's where the umbilical cord is developed, and that's how the child survives. And they said, develops into a baby. Hormones in the woman's body control the release of the egg from the ovary, called ovulation, and prepare the body to accept the fertilized egg. Hormonal contraceptives, the pill, the patch, the ring, all contain a small amount of man-made estrogen and uh, progenin hormones. These hormones work to inhibit the body's natural cyclical hormones to prevent pregnancy. Pregnancy is prevented by a combination of factors. So it doesn't work. It doesn't just have one way it works. There's several attempts at trying to keep a woman from becoming pregnant. The first one is this. The hormonal contraceptive usually stops the body from ovulating. 
Okay, so well, here's what the pill does. It just keeps a woman from releasing an egg. So there's no egg to be fertilized. And look, if there's no egg that's ever fertilized, you're, there's no conception, there's no life, you're not ending a life there. That happens 40 to 95% of the time that a woman is on the pill. But what happens the 5 to 60% of the time that that doesn't work? Well, when that doesn't work, here's what happens. Hormonal contraceptives also change the cervical mucus to make it difficult for the seed to go through the cervix and find an egg. And again, they're, just make, they're, they're trying to make it so that the body of a woman is so toxic and poisonous that uh, the seed of a man can't even get to uh, the, 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 the egg of a woman to have uh, conception or to have fertilization. But there's another thing it does. Hormonal contraceptives can also prevent pregnancy by changing the lining of the womb so it's unlikely the fertilized egg will be implanted. So here's what happens. Everything fails and the, and the egg ends up being fertilized. The, their conception is made and a life is created. So what do they do? They basically just prevent they do not allow. They change the lining of the, of, the, of the womb of the woman. They make it such a poisonous and toxic place that the egg cannot attach. Therefore, an umbilical cord cannot be uh, connected. And basically, this human being dies and starves to death from lack of nourishment. And this is happening in the bodies of good godly Christian women. And you think, what in the world? You know, and here, and, and most, and you know, you know this. I preached this before. You, you this is not uh, uh, new to you, but you know, it's good to repeat these things from time to time. It's good to just be refreshed on these. I'm not preaching this because I don't think there's enough women in our church pregnant right now. Okay, I mean, we got like six women running around pregnant. We just, uh, you know, I, I'm not worried about the women in our church having faith and having, you know, being pregnant. But here's the here's the point. It is God. It is God that decides when to open and when to close the womb. And you and I ought not try to play God and force the hand of God to either open the womb or force the hand of God to either close the womb. Especially, especially when you're ending a life. Because life begins at conception. And if abortion is wrong, then so is hormonal birth control. And if abortion is wrong, then so is IVF. And maybe we as Christians need to just learn to have faith in God. That God decided that I needed to have five children, and God blessed me with those children, and I don't need to sit here and try to play God. I just need to sit here and, try to, and have faith in God that he will provide, and he will give me the resources and the ability to be able to raise those children. So we see a lesson in conception. But let me give you another lesson, all right? Go back to Genesis 29. Look at verse number 30. We see a lesson in conception, but I want you to notice the second thing we can get from this passage is we see a lesson in contentment. A lesson in contentment. In this, in this passage, we find two women that are just not happy with life. Notice verse 32, Genesis 29, verse 32. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now notice what she says. She says, now. She says, now. Because she just got pregnant. She says, now, therefore, my husband will love me. And by the way, a lot, a lot of couples will do that. They're having problems with marriage, so they think, I know what we'll do. We'll have a child. That'll solve everything. You know, and it's like, hey, look, have a child if God gives you a child. If you're married, have a child. But don't think that having a child is going to solve your marriage problems. Here she says, well, I know that my husband hates me because, you know, I kind of tricked him into marrying me. 
and, and he loves my sister, who's, who he was actually working for seven years to marry her. But now I produce a child and she hasn't. So now, therefore, my husband will love me. Isn't that sad? In verse 33. She's so unhappy. I mean, and, and I, don't, I mean, I don't blame her. She's in, a, she's in a marriage that she should have never been in. She's married to a husband that just doesn't love her. Notice verse 33, and she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, and he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Notice verse 34, and she conceived again and bare a son and said, Notice what she says, Now, now this time will my husband be joined unto me. Okay, it didn't work the first time, but this time. Because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. Look at chapter 30 and verse 20. Chapter 30 and verse 20. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Notice what he said. Now, okay, now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she calls his name Zebulun. You know what she's doing? She's reaching out for something. She thinks if I can just get Jacob to love me more than Rachel, if I can just get Jacob to come home with me and not Rachel, if I can just, I'll, I'll, and she gives him the first son, and she gives him the second son, and she gives him the third son, and she gives him the fourth son. And here's the problem. She is trying to get something from Jacob that Jacob just cannot give her. Because there are some things that human beings cannot give you. And if you have a good marriage, I'm glad you do. If you have a loving relationship with your children, I'm glad you do. But it comes a point in your life when you're going to have to learn to have contentment and joy in God. Nehemiah tells us that the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Sometimes like David, when everybody turns against us and everybody and, and his family was gone, they had been taken captive, and all his friends turned against him, and they talked of, of killing him. He had to, remember the passage, he had to encourage himself in the Lord. And I will tell you this, if you learn to have contentment in God, that contentment will never leave you. But if you've decided in your mind that my contentment is attached to performance, I will be happy if my husband fill in the blank, if my wife fill in the blank, if my job fill in the blank. As soon as Jacob comes home with me and not her, as soon as Jacob shows attention to me and not her, when you have decided that your happiness is attached to the way that an individual outside of you responds to you and it's not God, you have set yourself out. For a very miserable life. Because the only one, the only one that can give you joy is God. He's the only one that doesn't change. He's the only one that doesn't disappoint. He's the only one that can take care of you. We see here Leah's lack of contentment. But we also see Rachel's lack of contentment. Notice Genesis 30. Look at verse 1. In Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children... Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, notice what she says, give me children or else I die. And again, we've got a woman here who says, I cannot be happy, I will not be happy until I have a child. And look, you can fill in whatever blank you want. I know people who say, I, will, I just will not be happy unless I live in this part of town. I will not be happy unless I drive this type of car. I will not be happy unless I make this much money. I will not be happy until I get married. I will not be happy until I have children. I will not be happy until I start that church. I will not be happy until I start that career or start that job or get that degree. Whatever it is, listen to me. If your happiness is attached to something, you're setting yourself up for 
you're setting yourself up to live a miserable life. I'm happy with my life. I, I, I came out pretty good in this deal of marriage. She got ripped off. You know, I got, I, I, you know, I, I, I hit the jackpot. I'm happy with my children. My children are, I think, the greatest children in the world. Definitely the cutest children in the world, but, you know, I think they're also good, you know. And, and, and look, you think your kids are cute, too. You know, you, you got a right to be wrong. But here's the thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm, happy with, I'm happy with this church, and I'm happy with what I'm doing in life. But listen to me. We have to disattach our contentment to our outside circumstances because, God forbid, he could take one of those children. He could take that wife. He could take that husband or that job or that ministry or, whatever, or that health or whatever it is. That you decided this is the only thing, or may he may never give it to you. And here you got a young lady who's very unhappy because she decided the only thing, the only thing that will make me happy, give me children or else I die. And she should have just decided to be content with what God had given her. Keep your place in Genesis 30. Let's, let's run a couple verses. We'll, we'll be done soon. First Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7. I, I've been very, very happy over the last several weeks. Over the last several weeks, we had one of our pregnant mothers give birth healthy and successfully, and we're thrilled about that. And we have six other ladies in our church expecting right now. Six other ladies. And I don't, well, you know, we, we're going to build this church one way or another, you know. <laughs> We're, we're, we're going to get, we're going to fill this auditorium somehow. Maybe I just got to preach on birth control a lot, but that's okay, you know. But, you know, I'm excited about that. I, I, I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. And some of these ladies have been praying for, uh, for a long time, and husbands have been praying for a, lo a long time, and God answered their prayers. Somebody brought it to my, well, somebody brought it to my wife's attention. She brought it to my attention that a lot of these ladies were at the last, remember the last prayer meeting that we had when we were praying about the building and praying about the protesters and praying about this and about that and God working things out. And we had those special meetings and we had the one for the men and one for the ladies. And a lot of the ladies went to that meeting and they asked, they requested uh, to find a husband. They, they, several of them requested to, 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 to have a child. And here we are just a few months later and everything on that prayer sheet was answered. Amen. We're sitting in the building getting married, they have children, you know, all of them, you know. Let us not forget that God does answer prayer. And sometimes, you know, we forget that we did pray for that. And God did answer, and he was faithful, and he was good. And we're excited about that, and praise the Lord for it, and that's what prayer is about. But we need to learn. We need to learn to be content in the areas that God has put us. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 7? Look at verse 27. Notice what he says. Notice what he says. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Now he's, not, he's not saying don't look for a wife if you're a single guy or a single gal. Don't look for a husband. But what he's saying is this. It, be okay with it if you never get that wife. Be okay with it if you never get that husband. And, and, and it's interesting because he said, you know, art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. And, and I know people like this. They're married and they wish they weren't. And then you got other people that aren't married and they wish they were. You know, and it's like the grass is always greener on the other side. Amen. You know, that other church on YouTube is always going to look better. Until you go there. <laughs> 
you know, and it's always like that. And you look at it and you say, man, if I was just, if I had a husband like him, you know, the lady said, or if I had a wife like her, or if my children were like, or if I had that job. But listen to me, you don't know what those individuals are dealing with. And he's saying, look, it's fine to date. It's fine to get married. But don't make it the pursuit of your life. He said, if, you have a, if you're bound to a wife, seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not to uh, seek not a wife. Now keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. We're going to come right back to it, but go to the book of Philippians. We're going to come right back to 1 Corinthians, so keep your place there, but go to Philippians. You got 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 11. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. Not that I speak in respect of want. This is the Apostle Paul saying, it's not that I want anything. I wait, whenever I read that, I think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If the Lord is my shepherd, then you should be satisfied. You don't need anything. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Now notice, this is not something that comes naturally. You have to learn it. It's a learned behavior. For I have learned, I have trained, I have practiced in whatsoever state I am. There was to be content. That I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whenever I read that, I always think, even Californians, okay? <laughs> Everybody always wants to complain about California. Gotta move to Texas. <laughs> hey, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said, I've learned. He said, I've learned whatever circumstances happen around me. Whether she gets pregnant and I don't, or he gets the girl and I don't, or he gets the job, or they get the promotion, or they get the house, and I want the house, and I want a promotion, and I want a job. Hey, just learn. Just learn. There's nothing wrong with having goals. There's nothing wrong with moving forward. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'd like to do that. I'd like to head in that direction. But just learn. If God never does it, it's not a give me children else I die deal. Because I've learned in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. And if you keep your place there, keep your place in 1 Corinthians 7. Don't worry about Philippians. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. Go back to Genesis chapter 30. Let me show you something. You say, how do I know when you have, when, when, if I have a contentment problem? Because there, there's two problems, you know. There, there's contentment and there's complacency. Some people are complacent where, like, they don't want anything. And you kind of want to shove them, like, go get a job, you know. Go date, you know, go do something, you know. And then there's other people who are like just, you know, covetous. And it's like, you know, you don't need all that money, you know. Just be happy with what you got. You know, there's these, these ideas. And, and the, the happy medium is contentment. And you say, well, how do I know if I have a contentment issue? Well, let me show you what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 30, look at verse 1. Genesis 31. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children. And when Jacob saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel... Envied. See that word envy there? I don't. I was going to do this, but I don't have time to do it. Uh, but I would encourage you to do a, a, a word search through the scriptures. The word envy. The word envy is always negative in the Bible. Never a good thing. Now, jealous is always a positive thing in the Bible. The Lord is jealous. God is jealous. You know, being jealous means you own something and you're and you're possessive of it, and you want to protect it, and there's nothing wrong with that in Scripture. I know today we use the word jealous and envy the same, but they're not the same. I'm very jealous of my wife. And that's okay. I don't want you guys, you know, talking to my wife a lot. Okay? Say hi and move on. 
you know, and, and, and you ought to be jealous of your wife, you know, and you ought to be jealous. But, but envy is when you want something that doesn't belong to you or you want something that God hasn't given you. And here the Bible says, and when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. You're in chapter 7. Go to chapter 12. You say, how, how do I know if I have a contentment problem? Here's how you know if you have a contentment problem. When you're not happy for, but you envy those that have what you want. When you're not happy for, but you're just upset about those that got or that God has given what you want. Now, I'm starting to say, we, we've got several women expecting right now. And I am so happy. We've been praying for, for not just one, but two, three of these, these ladies have been wanting a child for a long time. And it seemed like God was just withholding that from them for whatever reason. And then God has given that to them. And, you know, when I, I heard about one, it was like my wife and I were just like, praise the Lord. And then we heard of another one. It was like, man, great, that's great. And we heard of a third, and it was like, praise God, you know. And a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth. And it's like, man, praise the Lord that God is doing this. But let me say this. Let me say this. Some of these ladies have been waiting a year, two years to receive this blessing from the Lord. You know, would to God that there's not another lady in our church who maybe would like a child and God hasn't given them one to say, well, I just can't be happy for her. I just can't be happy for her. What's well, like, well, wait, wait a minute. God blessed her with a child. Don't envy that. Don't be upset about that. And, and, and plug in whatever you want. I'm looking for a job. Brother so-and-so got a great job. Well, I just can't be happy for him because I want a job. You know what you are? You are immature. You're a selfish little brat. Well, I want a wife, and they're getting married, and I'm not getting married. I'm just not going to go. Why don't you grow up? Why don't you grow up? Why don't you learn to be content? You're an immature little brat. You need to grow up. God commands us. God commands us to be happy for those that he's blessing. It's part of church life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 25. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. He's talking to the church. He's talking about the body. He's talking to a local church, how the church life ought to go. Notice what he says, that there should be no schism in the body, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same, notice these words, care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Listen to me. We're not going to sit here and I, I can't, we're not going to praise the Lord that sister so-and-so, God blessed her with a child. Let's not announce that. Because, you know, we got Mrs. Grumpy back there or Mr. Grumpy over there who just happened. They can't be happy for anybody because God didn't give us a child. That's ridiculous. When someone gets a blessing, you just rejoice with them. And when someone's suffering, you just suffer with them. That's what a church life is about. That's what a church family is about. You know what Rachel should have done? Rachel should have gone to Leah and said, praise the Lord that God has blessed you with a child. I am so happy for you. And, you know, she could have shared her heart and said, I wish God would give me a child, and I'm praying that God would give me a child. But we need to learn to be content. We must never have this idea like, if I don't live in this area, if I don't live in this house, if I don't drive this, if I don't have this, if I don't. Look, don't make those types of commands to God where you say give, give me a child or just kill me God give me children else I die that's ridiculous we as Christians need to learn we as Christians need to learn in whatsoever state I am there was to be content maybe you're in the state of California and you say this is the greatest state I've ever lived in right some of you are saying that <laughs> hey I'm saying that I like California I don't care if you guys want to move 
I'll just find other California. But you know what? The tribulation may get us out of California. We, I, we, I may be forced to go live in Arizona. Or it's like 170 degrees, you know, and it's like, it's like hell, you know, during the summer. It's like I'm motivated to go soul winning because I want to keep people from Arizona, you know. I may be forced to go to Texas. I may be forced to go to wherever. Hey, I can't attach my happiness to this place. I can't attach, you know, I was happy with the last church building we had. I thought it was the best church building we'd ever had. But when they said no, just move on. To Norwood? To Norwood. And this is a better, I think this is a better building, you know. But at first you walked in here and you're like, what are we doing, Pastor? It's, a, it's, it's just vision, all right, just vision. Visualize it. I'm just saying you cannot attach your happiness. You cannot attach your happiness to anything outside of you. Because you're not guaranteed to have it. So we see a lesson in conception. And then we see a lesson in contentment. But let me give you a third one, all right. We're almost done. Genesis 30, look at verse 8. We're, we're done right here. Keep your place in Philippians. I meant to tell you that. If I forgot, I'm sorry. Keep your place in Philippians. We're going to come right back to it. Go to Genesis 30. Look at verse 8. We saw a lesson in conception, a lesson in contentment. Let me give you one last one, and we'll be done. A lesson in competition. A lesson in competition. Genesis 30. Look at verse 8. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister. That is not a good way to live. She was in competition with her sister. Now, this is a bad situation. She's married, her and her sister are married to the same man. And later, later, God, God, it's interesting, God never outlawed polygamy in scripture, but he did outlaw that a man married both two sisters. You know, it's probably because of this. But in Genesis 38, it says, and Rachel said, with great wrestling, with great wrestling, have I wrestled with my sister. And I prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. These women were in competition with each other. And you know, in our lives, we ought to be careful not to be in competition with each other. Can you get back to Philippians chapter 2? We're, we're done right here. Philippians chapter 2. It's human nature to be competitive. Who's competitive? I'm, I'm real competitive, you know. Don't play me in ping pong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why I don't play ping pong. Or chess or whatever, okay? Don't ask me. And, um, you know, and, and, and it's human nature to be competitive. But sometimes we can take it too far. You know, sometimes we take it a little too far. And, and it's funny, we'll get competitive in, like, spiritual things. Well, how much did you read the Bible? How many times have you read your Bible? How many, how many, how many you know, salvations have you had? Now, look, let, let's get excited about the things of God. Let's get excited about reading the Bible. Let's get excited about soul winning. Let's get excited about the things of God. But let's not take it to a level where it's just a fleshly, competitive-type thing. You know, we're all going to come back from soul winning. I had 67 salvations today. And the other guy's like, 68, I'll be right back, you know. You know, it's not, that's not the Christian life. Are you there in Philippians 2? Look at verse 3. Philippians 2, look at verse 3. Let nothing be done. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let nothing be done through strife. We're striving together. I've wrestled with my sister. Or vainglory, just to show off, just to boast, just to brag. And it's human nature. It's human nature to say, you know, it's that idea that Paul talked about with the church at Corinth. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. To be in a competition. And it could be your church life. It could be your personal life. It could be keeping up with the neighbors because, well, they got a new car, so now I got to get a new car. And they did this and I, all my neighbors have fixed up their house. I'm just like, hey, you know, 
I'm, you know, they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. That's what I say. You know, they're all doing all this work. It's funny, like, my neighbors are seriously in competition with each other. Ask my wife. It's funny. It's like, he, this guy did his roof, and then the other guy the next week is up there with his son. Like, do the roof, you know, and then they painted their house, and they painted their house, and they did their, and I'm just like, have at it, guys. <laughs> my time's running out, you know, I'm not going to invest my place, my time on this. Let nothing be done to the strife of vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. Saying, don't be concerned with your success, your glory, your, you know, what people think of you. Let not every man, uh, let, uh, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Here's what he's saying. Learn to be concerned with the success of others. Learn to be concerned with the success of others. If you make it your life, if you make it your mission to say, my mission as a husband, my mission is to make sure that my wife is successful, that my children are successful. If as a pastor, I make it my mission to try to help our church people be successful, and I'm not trying to build a name, and I'm not trying to build an organization, I'm not trying to build an empire, I just want to help you succeed. When you make it your life's goal, when you make it your life's goal, not to better yourself, but to better others, you will be the most successful person. Because you'll be like, just like Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Don't live your life in conflict, competition with your sister or your spiritual sister or your brother or your spiritual brother, with your neighbor or your co-worker, because you will not live a satisfied life. So we got a lesson in conception and we got a lesson in contentment and we got a lesson in competition let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer heavenly father thank you lord for your word thank you for these passages that we could dig into and get lessons and learn from lord i pray that you would help us lord i, I thank you for these ladies in our church that are with child i know we've been praying for some for a long time i'm so excited but sometimes we look at individuals and we see things happening in their lives and Maybe they're taking steps and getting married and they're taking steps and finding jobs or they're taking steps and going into the ministry and they're, they're, they're seeing great success in life. Lord, help us never to look at those individuals and envy or compete with them. But help us just to say, Lord, use me as you would like to use me and help me to be content with the results. We love you, Father. Thank you for a church family that come together on a Sunday night. Pray you bless the time we have. Bless the fellowship to come. In your precious name I pray. Amen.